You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Pupko. Hello, I'm Aprom Kivalevich. It's the day after, and I am sure that in normal times, this type of political confusion, angst, arguments, talking, just interesting things about who's going to win the election, who's going to eke it out, what about the votes, who was wrong, who was right. These are the type of conversations that people are having everywhere. And in normal times, they'd be having them in shul. Because as we know, from even from the time of the great Ashkenazi post-sake, Rabbi Yisrael Israel in the Trumas Hadeshen, when he was asked about, after the Tfilot, after the davening, people are just congregating and talking, and people are speaking about things. Is this, is this the right thing that in this holy building, conversations, personal conversations should be happening? And of course, what he was talking about was probably not something that was novel. People, whatever name you're going to give to that place, whether it's the name synagogue, where it's a coming together, a convocation, whether it's a base, a Knesset, a place that people come to be brought in, whether it's a shul, a place that is more a place of instruction, a shule, whatever term you're going to use, a shtibel, a little house, it all implies a social aspect. Besides the sanctity of the sanctuary of the Kodesh, of going in to pray and speak to the creator in awesome tones, that's all about schmoozing and talking and having a social life. Especially, I would say, uh, for my guest, my host, my great friend Rabbi Pupko, your building, the Bistro Besaron, is obviously much more than just a place where people come and daven. It's a place for people to meet, to talk, and I'm sure, as many rabbis have complained to me, and I myself as a rabbi was in the same boat, people are doing that, and that bleeds into, into when they're supposed to be davening as well. One of the reasons why rabbis are so frustrated and clopping and saying no schmoozing, no talking during shul is because that's part of the reason they're there. So give us a little bit of a uh, of a perspective as someone who has been 40 years or of to understand how we bridge these two phenomena, davening, socializing. And I want you also to comment, if you will, specifically, I guess it's in the modern Orthodox uh, community, the socializing that includes mingling of the sexes. So go ahead. I've given you a lot to talk about. You know, it's... Um... It's interesting. I mean, listen, talking in shul is an old problem. Uh, and I say problem, I mean talking at the inappropriate times, meaning during davening, while you're supposed to be davening and listening to Kriya Satora. I mean, the Texas Yanta hundreds of years ago had a Mishabera for those who didn't talk in shul. You know, it's a, uh, it's an old, old problem. Jews get together in a room. Um, it's not easy for everybody to concentrate the way they should on davening and they end up talking. And, um, and socializing. And for many people, that's the reason they actually go to show, or one of the reasons they go to show. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you look at it, you know, it depends what the alternative is. <laughs> In other words, 
if you're a Jew for whom the alternative to talking in shul is davening in shul, then you shouldn't be talking in shul. But for as many people, the alternative to talking in shul is not coming to shul. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, you can lean back and, you know, say, you know, oh, it's a wonderful thing. A Jew wants to talk to meet other Jews. They go to shul. And that's a nice thing. I mean, they could go anywhere. They could go anywhere. They choose to go to shul. That's maybe a good thing. It certainly detracts from what a shul is supposed to be in this perfect form. But that's a nice thing. On the other hand, for people who know better, who went to yeshiva and know better and understand why they're there, it's obviously upsetting and, and distressing that davening isn't as as it should be and that people talk. So it really depends who you're talking about. You know, uh, Jews who come to shul and daven and take it seriously um, uh, is obviously the model. But, uh, you know, the, the model isn't always uh, the most prevalent. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, it's, it, it's, it, and it's an issue. But well, if, you know, I've, I've tried, and I know I'm interrupting you, but I, when I was a rabbi and, um, and I speak to other rabbis about it, what I try to tell them when they tell me how frustrated they are is that you have to realize that in many ways – this is their identity. You have a person who's a pencil pusher during the week um, who basically, you know, he's in a, this frustrated little cage. Uh, this is his place to say on, on Saturdays, <laughs> that's where he defines himself. We talked last week, remember, about the Napoleonic-like people on the board who want to stab everybody who, who are frustrated. But even if you're not a board member who, who are trying to flex your muscles and show, hey, this is who I am. Finally, this is my friend. I love sitting next to this guy in Joel. Uh because during the week I'm 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 jostling in a subway and, and and making my way in an office and hating everybody around me. So for many people, it, that it has to shore up their sense of of community. Um, and uh, let me just ask you. D- do you ever find yourself shushing and giving a clap and saying please, or do you just let the talking go? I'll tell you, it's, um, I don't think a rabbi should ever be in the position of enforcing a rule which will be violated. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, rabbis get up and clap and clap and yell. You know, first of all, no rabbi should be clapping and yelling. Well, I'll tell you what I do. First of all, in my show, I don't have a problem with talking during davening. I <laughs> certainly have a problem with talking during Priyasatotra. Priyasatotra is a huge problem. Um, maybe I'm overstating a little bit, but it's a, it's a persistent problem. The only thing, I, what I do whenever I want it to be quiet is I get up and I say, we will pause uh, for silence. And we wait. Sometimes we wait two seconds. Sometimes we wait one second. But we wait. And if I have to do it once or twice, I do it. It's usually enough. If I have to do it more, I do it more. Um, but I don't think we should be yelling at our people in public. I don't think we should be clapping. Clapping just makes more noise. I don't know why anybody ever claps. Uh, you get up and you say, we will pause, uh, we, we, or I, I forget exactly what I say. I say, we will start, we will, uh, we will pause until there is silence or something like that. And that's it. I get up, I say it nicely, I say it calmly, and people stop talking. You know, it's, uh. But you, you probably have to say it every week, though, right? No, there's some weeks I don't, but most weeks I do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. At one point, at one point or another, increase the tower, sure. Increase the tower is hard. Uh, but the dominating itself, I mean, maybe because our shots, there's a little bit of noise. But uh, but davening itself, people are, are quiet and, uh, and and well behaved. Um, the criticism is a problem, but also it uh, again you have to appreciate the fact, you know, 
be a little more indulgent and tolerant, as you said. I mean, people come to show for many reasons. Uh, they come to show to daven. They come to show to show their kids how to daven, and they also come to show to see their friends. And again, in a world where they have multiple choices and options about how to conduct themselves and find people they like, it's kind of nice they still look at the show for that. And uh, I know, listen, in, 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 there are extremes that are obviously very, very wrong. I mean, uh, when, when people, I mean, I know during COVID, uh, uh, colleagues of mine in New York have told me that uh, that even though their schools are now open and whatever with, with restrictions and, 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 and uh, a maximum number of people, and even though the schools are open, uh, there are people who tell them, Rabbi, I'm not coming back until there's kids again. You know, because that's why they come. And that's obviously, you know, disturbing. But in, in know, some ways, it's better, though. You know, I mean, I, I told you about last week, we talked about uh, cancel culture. Right. And, and the Shiloh that, that came up with me that was a very difficult one, the person that, that, that was the victim who, wanted, who, they, who we canceled was someone who said to me, Rabbi, I don't really care about the davening. I just want to be able to show up at the Kiddush and see my friends. And, 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 and it struck me uh, that that might not be such a bad thing, especially as, as you say, you're not going to change people after 25 years or 30 years. Uh, if you have a, a, a young man or woman who is disenfranchised and has not been served well and just wasn't into davening, you're not going to change them. Uh, but, the fact is that there is this element, what we call the kiddish element, and that at least divides. In this way, you could, you know, you, you're able to speak to your congregants and say, "There's going to be plenty of time of socializing later. We're going to do that later." Right. Which is sort of, which is sort of what the psak of the Truma Sadeshan was. You know, he said that that since it's happening after davening, although it's happening in the courtyard, um, he also mentions the idea that Rabbi Yisrael Lipschitz and the Tzvaris Yisrael continues, which is. It actually might, be, and Rabbi Yaakov Emden mentions it as well, that it might actually be very positive to have this schmoozing after davening because important information was given over. Before the days of the iPhone, this was the way you knew. Uh, was the pogrom on the way? Uh, what should be happening? Uh, what have you been hearing during the week? And and this is one of the heterim of reading newspapers on Shabbos is based on that 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 Truma Sadeshan. What I'm trying to say is not just to show my great erudition, erudition here. Uh, my pronunciation is definitely which behind. I quite, which I find quite intimidating. But... Yes, yes. You should never find me intimidating <laughs> whatsoever. Um, you know, you've blown me out of the water every single time we've we've spoken because we don't we don't have any script here, and you're able to take out of your pocket. Uh, you know the you know you sound like Olivier and I sound like uh, like a Cockney <laughs> Michael Caine or maybe Sean Connery, Oliver Shalom. Um, so <laughs> anyway, the point though is is that my erudition is a little bit behind my pronunciation. But here's 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 the the idea here is that yeah um, sometimes that was that was crucial uh, and maybe that's the reason why it was encouraged. And when you split when you split the sanctity. From, from the socializing, I guess that that is a good way to work, right? But I think also, I think some of what I said may be a little dated because, in fact, Baruch Hashem, because of the yeshivas, which I enjoyed disparaging as I did last week, uh, because of the yeshivas, one, one of the best, greatest achievements in yeshivas is they, their graduates have changed our souls. They have. Uh, the guys who went to yeshiva and, uh, and understood what it means, you know, who understand that 
uh, come back to their homes and they dive nicer and their souls are better. And sometimes they create trouble for the rabbi. They want his breakaway minion because they don't like the talking. And rabbis who can pull this off, it's not easy, get them to stay in the minion and transform the minion rather than move away from it. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. And if we can, and, 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 and has gotten better in our shows over the last 20 years, a lot better, a lot better. And, and there is much more serious, many more serious people who want to adopt, who want to do the right thing. And the people who come simply for social reasons, I think are, are, are a minority today. In our that's, well, it's interesting. You know, I think things are better than they used to be. People want to dive in. And I'll tell you something else. I've been a rabbi long enough to know one thing. And I've seen kids born, grow up, and marry. I know one thing. The kids who sit next to their parents and show, the girl who sit next to her mother and show, the boys sit next to their father and show, and davens with their parents are remarkably different than the parent who comes, leaves their kid in the lobby, and the kid plays around for davens. And go, or goes, you know, whatever, hanging out in the lobby, whatever it is. You, you sit and show with your kid uh, during davening, you've changed everything about their future, everything. And uh, remember something, and this is crucial. Whatever our kids do at school, those experiences cannot be replicated as adults. They're students for a limited time of their lives. But when they sit next to their parents and show and see a parent, a mother and a father, davening seriously, you're, you're giving them an experience not only is extraordinarily valuable, but an experience that they will replicate, that they will do with their children. You're giving them an experience that they will continue to do their whole lives. And remember something, what else we know? Here's something else we know. And this is a bit of a tangent, but what we do know is that the things you do as a kid with your parents are the things that you continue to do as an adult. And I'll give you two extreme examples, and the negative and the positive. All rabbis have this experience that Erev Pesach, we see Jews for the sea and that we don't see the rest of the year. Sometimes not even Yom Kippur. Why do they come? Because they remember going with their fathers to the sea. So they take their own kids to the sea. They don't take their own son to the sea. That what you do with your parent, you want to do with your kid. And I'll give you the other extreme example. You and I grew up in a time where every soul in America was packed for Yisrael. Packed. I mean, I remember my father told people he didn't see any that. The idea of a Jew not being in soul for Yisrael, you would be filled with shame. You wouldn't show your faith in decent society. Today, the children and the grandchildren of the Jews who came only for Yisrael don't come for Yisrael. Why not? Because we made a terrible mistake as rabbis in the 50s and 60s and 70s. We should have been yelling at our people in a nice way to bring their kids to Yisker. Even if the kid would walk out for Yisker, they'd come back in and see the tears on their parents' face, they'd be saying Yisker for their parents now. But people didn't bring their kids to Yisker. That's why the Yisker Jew is extinct. Yeah, yeah very moving. I, I actually uh, I have two little comments on that, especially as you say, you know, I'm a product of the same environment um, of that period. Um First, a little bit of a, an anecdote. You know, I'm from Memphis, and everybody knows that. I always talk about Memphis, Tennessee. And, um, you know, who, of course, is the biggest celebrity of Memphis and still, you know, so many years after his death, of course, is Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. Now, Elvis, of course, uh, whether he was a Jew or not, uh, he, de- he definitely had <laughs> Douglas M. off. Elvis, you've got all the Jews. You, you, you're always so, ready. Listen, there's no question the song Nothing But a Hound Dog was a very evocative 
description of the of, 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 the, of what happened. Yeah, although it was basically based on muddy waters or something <laughs> like that. But you're right. He was he turned it into a Yiddish Lidl, a Zemer. But uh, you know, it, it, whether Elvis halachically was Jewish or not, and definitely, you know, he definitely has the middle name of Moshe Rabbeinu's brother. Um, he was the great star, and, and and he was very well known, and had a lot of Jewish friends. And one of his closest friends was George Klein. Right. who uh, still, I don't know if he's alive, I, he's still on Sirius XM, and you can hear him, uh, the Elvis station, talking out of Memphis. So George would come, George, who was Elvis's friend, and he was a disc jockey, and he was right. a schmoozer. I don't know what else he did. I don't know if he helped Elvis with his barbiturates, but he definitely was somebody who uh, was well-known to be connected to Elvis, and a very Jewish. He came to show once a year on Yom Kippur uh, at the Yisker time, and we would look out for him. Uh, you know, uh, us kids that we were part of the choir. But w- one of the big highlights was, did George Klein show up yet? Right? Where's George? Like he had certain boots and he had his he had a certain uh, look with his sideburns. And we were waiting for George Klein to make his appearance at, at Yisker. So it was almost like a, a time to to catch them. Uh, the other thing I, I want to point out is something you know, we, uh, one of the most beautiful ideas I heard from um, Moshe Mordechai Epstein. Um, who was the yeshiva in uh, Slavodka and um, the, the Muster yeshiva at the time. He said, people get it wrong. You know, we send our kids out for Yisker. Most of the time we think it's because, you know, they don't have anyone who died. Why should they be burdened with the pain of death? Why should they be thinking about death so ardently and seeing it? And, 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 and as you said, maybe that's what they should see. Um Rav Moshe Mordechai said, the reason why we send people out, including adults who are lucky to have their, 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 their parents, is because it's, it's derech eretz not to save them. It's because there's a certain simcha and satisfaction that we who have lost our parents have that they can't share. It's almost like, I don't get it. What's going on here? Um, there's this, uh, it's like, it, it's wrong to have someone at your simcha who can't be mishtatev. And even though it's not high, happy, happy simcha, but it's a sense of, of satisfaction, a sense of nachas, a sense of connectedness that they can't have. And therefore, having them there is cruel in a way because they can't share in it. I thought that was an interesting flip about the way to look at it. And, you know, especially, um, uh, you know, I would also assume, and I want to talk a little bit about socializing because I think that's a hot topic, um, even I, I, we'll see if, if COVID will end, but um, do do you find that um, uh, you know when you talk about uh, you we're talking about Yisker and, and, and talking about is that do you still give your speech before Yisker? Is it, you still do that right? You still because it used to be the rabbi on a day that Yisker was said in Shul, he he would wait to give the speech before Yisker. Do you, you still do that right? Usually, I mean, usually Yontif Shabbos I speak before. Mosef and the better days of Yisker, I speak before Yisker. Right. So I would. This is where I'm going with this. I think that as things have changed, speaking before Yisker is going to mean less, you know, as opposed to you know, here's your pre-Yisker speech. Right. For sure. And I think that 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 probably doesn't have the same importance that it used to. Right. I mean, I listen. Often Yisker, I will, and again, because I was I, I, the greatest, one of the great blessings of my life as a rabbi has been that I was in a show with many Holocaust survivors, most of whom are now, you know, overwhelmingly gone, unfortunately, but, and, and therefore I would speak to them before you script. Uh-huh. And that was, and that's, 
listen, one thing I know about uh, survivors is that their greatest fear is that their story will be forgotten. And to reassure them is, uh, I think, a wonderful thing amidst them. And, uh, and, 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 and therefore, I, I spend many years talking about what we learned from that period and what we experienced during that period. And, uh, and I, you know, and, and therefore, uh, that may become more important, actually, as survivors leave us. Oh, and, that's interesting uh, to maybe. And, and, and therefore, I think, listen, Yisker, I mean, we all know the origin of Yisker. The origin of Yisker was collective loss. Sure. The communities that were slaughtered in, yeah. in, in Germany and France and other places. And, and we say, you know, uh, Shul will say a Kamali for, uh, uh, most Shul say Kamali for the six million. During Yisker, some Shul say, uh, or not most Shul say uh, Kamali for the uh, uh, fallen soldiers in Sahal. It's a communal experience. Right, and it's also, as you know, you mentioned the Tosas Yontif earlier, it really it came out of the fact that those days of Kriya Satora, I think Avram Yari and other uh, uh, writers and, and scholars have talked about it, those were the days that people would make a special Misha Berich based on the Aliyah, so there were people who would make a Misha because you didn't talk in Shul. That's the right. Tosas Yontif. A special Misha Berich for everybody didn't talk in Shul, and then they had Misha Berich for the Chazan, Misha Berich for the Rav, and then there were the people who didn't have what to make Misha Berichs for, because the, the Kriya was about giving tzedakah and, you know, uh, and things like that, because that is the Kriya on that day. So people would say, well, I'm going to give Misha Berich for the person who died. And that's how it developed into a, uh, you know, a day of, of, of solemnly remembering. Obviously, we've turned into something else. Let, let me get to that, 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 that issue, which I think is important. And especially, I think, in a show like yours. I mentioned Shtibo, Yeshivisha place we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That probably doesn't happen that often. The women, you know, I'm not sure how they support it. But in your show, you have men and women. You have, I'm sure, uh, women on your board. I'm not sure if you have a woman president. One of the Tanoyim in my, uh, when I, uh, my uh, stint as rabbi was, was I comfortable and would I accept uh, converts and women as presidents of shuls? That was a, a big issue. Um, um, I'm not sure where it is. In, in, I, I'll in, tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a very funny Okay. You, get, you, t- I, you, you know what I'm getting at. What I'm getting is, I'll, I'll get to what you want to tell. All right, but yeah, tell your funny story because you're the well, star of this. You are the emeritus Rex. Okay, when, Go I was, ahead. when I was a child and I came to this old rabbi, um, the, um, I'll tell you very funny. So I, I was in my mid, early 20s, mid-20s, and, and I came for my interview. And remember, whatever goes on in America happens in Canada 20 years later. So it was, the, it was the 80s, but picture the 70s and the 60s. Very traditional. I'm not telling you everyone around the table was Shabbos Shabbos. When I first came to the show, 80% of the people in front of me on Shabbos weren't Shabbos Shabbos. Today, everybody is. And not because I changed them, but the world changed. But I think I might have mentioned that. I know I'm repeating myself. I apologize. But So I'm sitting at a table, and if I – yeah, maybe there's actually most of the people around weren't Shabbos Shabbos, but felt themselves very traditional. These are all the past presidents and the current presidents. And they said to me as a joke in the interview, Rabbi, would you expe- accept a woman ra- a, a woman president? Expect me, of course, to laugh it off and say, of course not. It was unheard of in the 80s. And certainly in Montreal to ever consider having a woman as a president of a show. And, um, and I said, of course I would accept it. I've never had one. But I, in the 80s, I said, of course I would accept it. And they were all shocked. And by the way, I still got the job. They were completely shocked. And they said, how could you accept Remember, I'm sitting at a table with the president and past president. So I said, I'll tell you why I would accept a woman president. 
the Rambam says no important communal position should ever go to a woman. So presidents aren't important. <laughs> I hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the point. And by the way, I mean that quite seriously. <laughs> that means oh, the Rambam would never imagine a sole president as Ninoy. The only people in the world, in the world, who think a sole president is important are Russian Shivas, who imagine the rabbi kowtowing to some powerful president and loves to imagine himself as being this gloriously independent person while the rabbi is, is, is bound and, and handcuffed by, uh, by Balabatin. The only people who I've heard, you know, extol the power of sole presidents are Russian Shivas. Yeah, okay. And, uh, I, I'm going to push back on that because I happen to had a president <laughs> who was a who was a real harpy and uh, uh, really uh, tried to fight me tooth and nail on many many things, which is why I'm sitting here and you're sitting where you are. Uh, I'll, I'll, I also I'll, have to I'll, mention in my and in my erudite way that the uh, you mentioning of course that Rambam, uh, which was really the basis of one of the most famous. Uh, uh, response of Ramosha Feinstein to your father, Ova Shalom, right. which was all about, and I, maybe you know that woman who was the Mashkicha in Pittsburgh. I don't know who she was. But it's not a Minoy. There's no <laughs> right. way in the world the show president is, is, is an important communal position. Well, well, your, uncle, uh, your uncle, actually, I actually called your uncle on this. Um, Rev. Gadalia Schwartz, that's all. Uh, 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 yes, yes, I'm taking that out. I, listen, I didn't mean that he's my Rebbe, and I love him. Um, but Rev. Gadalia Schwartz um, uh, said to me, <clears throat> he says, don't, uh, you know, I'm not publishing this, but he also felt that, you know, it's he's a representative of, he's not a mamuna to make a decision. He's a representative of the voting of the Tzibur. He's not Necessary. He just happens to be the schlock guy <clears throat> that the community puts up there, but he doesn't have real power as well. So, still, um, so let, let's end off here with. No, but I understand. By the way, I, I want to qualify because I don't want to sound like I'm completely out of my mind. In many Orthodox souls, it would be highly inappropriate for a woman to be president. But again, these things are really based on community standards, and if the community standards are such that the women in, the, in that community do not take those kind of public roles, it would be highly inappropriate, if not offensive, to have a woman president or orthodox show. It depends on the show. depends on the community. Right? The, the show should be a reflection of how, of how the community operates generally, which gets me to your real question, which is socializing and show. If you're in a community where gender separation is the norm, where the women aren't working, let's say, the women are mostly, um, you know, at, at home, uh, then you don't want the show Kiddush to be the place where there's pizzas get right where, where you where they start behaving differently than they do everywhere else in the life. If, however, you're talking about a community where the women are out in the world, where the women have learned to navigate social and business experiences while maintaining uh, integrity of Jewish life, then you can't expect the Kiddush to be the one place where they act differently. It really depends on the community. I've never had a problem in my in my years where there was excessive fraternization between the genders at a kiddush. It is exactly reflective of how they conduct themselves in their homes on on Shabbos or or, or in their or in the schools with their kids or in their business or professional life. There's, the kiddush room is a reflection of should be a reflection, not better, maybe a little bit better, but certainly not worse than how they conduct themselves elsewhere. 
well, you know, it, it obviously is a little bit different, you know, especially when you're elbowing somebody to get a piece of kugel. You know, it, it's, it doesn't necessarily show you in the in the greatest light. But what about? But I, the, want you, I, I want to tell you another funny story. I hate to interrupt you, but I have a great story. No, no, you're you've got. You know what Durante used to say? I got a million of them. Go ahead. <laughs> about thirty years ago, I'm sitting at LaGuardia Airport, and uh, the plane was delayed from uh, LaGuardia, Montreal. And the pilot sees me, he comes over to me and he says, Rabbi, he says, are you Rabbi? I go, yeah. And he says to me, you know, I went to my, he was a non-Jewish fellow, obviously. And he says to me, you know, Rabbi, I went to my first bar mitzvah uh, a month ago. I go, oh, yeah. I said, where was the bar mitzvah? He says, well, the bar mitzvah was in Las Vegas. And uh, it was in a, he said to me, it was an Orthodox synagogue in Las Vegas. The party was in one of the casinos. It was very funny. Anyway, I see, he says, I, said, I asked him, uh, how was the bar mitzvah? He said, I'll tell you. I went into services and I was a little freaked out. I'd never been to the synagogue before for services. And I, I was a little nervous. I walk in and I see the men and women are sitting separately. And it was a little weird. And then he said, but I sat down with the guys. He says, it was great, he says to me. <laughs> it was like going on a fishing trip. <laughs> the old, good old boys, everybody. In other words, he understood that the social component is sometimes enhanced in an orthodox role because it's the guy sitting together be themselves. And, and it was very funny he referred to it as a fishing trip <laughs> now that's obviously not what we're aspiring to but he certainly uh certainly was reflective of reality just sure. a social reality and so the camaraderie sure definitely uh you know we can be ourselves what about in the let's end off on this note we talk about um you know the first time we spoke, you were on my On Principle show, and we talked about uh, show offerings in education. Um, do you find there that you have to split men and women, or does your show demand all shirim are open for men and women? And I, I, parenthetically, I'm going to mention uh, someone that's so who's very dear to both of us, your brother, who uh, who uh, I locked horns with him about uh, when I came to his community. And I started giving shiurim there to boys. <laughs> I used to give a gemara shir to boys uh, in the Masechta. And it was the boys from all different high schools came. And I gave every uh, Friday night uh, a gemara shir. And it was to finish the Masechta was the idea. And he said, this is the first time our shul has ever had uh, a single sex uh, shir. And he, uh, you know, I had to like deal with that. Well, how was it? How was it by you in uh, in your shul? You know, I, 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 I try to, I'm a very, uh, I can be irreverent and caustic and, uh, and women make me behave better. So I don't like having women at my shear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I see. So, so you know, you actually, I, I can say, I can talk in a, in a very different way when I'm with the guys. So I mean, I mean in all seriousness, there's some shear I give, let's say, uh, before Mincha on Shabbos afternoon in their soul before Mincha where men and women come. The Gemara shears I give are, 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 are only for, uh, are, are attended by men. I never say it. I never have to say it. Uh, you know, the men come. Um, and there are other shears I give during the week that I give a Chumash class for women. I give another shear. And I, I, but again, it's not, but I give Shabbos Agadol to our it's men and women. Of course. I give a Shabbos Yubel to it's men and women, obviously. So it, it depends on the context. Um, you know, the smaller classes are usually, are always, I think I would say, maybe a rare, maybe a few exceptions. The, the, the smallest year are generally uh, uh, for men or, or, or for women, not both. But again, there are exceptions to that. 
So there really isn't any uh, cut and dry. But, uh, you know, I agree with you. You do definitely have to, uh, you know, have the umbrella wide enough, especially since women aren't just part of the sisterhood anymore. They are really, uh, I mean, in many I mean, ways. Sisterhoods don't exist anymore. I mean, let's be blunt. I mean, uh, listen, uh, women's, women's movement has radically changed Jewish life. We used to have a cadre of brilliant women, women who would teach our children, staff our organizations, staff our synagogue offices. All those brilliant women are now doctors, lawyers, accountants, and business people. And so we're not left with a lot to choose from. <laughs> and we used to get sisterhood. That doesn't exist anymore. Women are working. It's a different world. Yeah. Well, clearly, the, uh, as, you, as, we, as you said, as we started our comments today, um, one of those, as you say, the frustrations of COVID is that this whole element we're talking about, people will be listening to and saying, boy, <laughs> that's not even relevant anymore because of the distancing, the camaraderie. It's hard to have that camaraderie when you're sitting in a mask. It's hard to have that camaraderie when you're, you're meant to leave shul and get home as quick as possible. And um, you know, I hope what we're talking about won't be listened to as a little vestige of, of a world that doesn't exist anymore. I'm and, sure we'll come back, but I'll tell you, even under COVID, we've never had a problem enforcing rules in our show with COVID. You know, everyone has to wear a mask, everyone sits together, et cetera, all this stuff. But I have to tell you, the one place where I'm nervous is after show on Chavez, when people walk outside the building and are standing, you know, outside the show in there, and they, it, people can't seem to stop talking to each other. And yeah, they're standing a little further apart, but that's the point. People, we're social animals, and Jews are certainly hyper-social. And we love seeing each other, and we love talking to each other. And, uh, and it's a real challenge in a, type of, in, a, in, a, in a time when certain degrees of isolation are enforced by uh, necessities of, uh, of health. Yeah, well, I, you know, again, I think part of what, what is gained by, you know, in our era is the ability to connect on shops you can't Zoom but as we said, there are other ways to connect, and 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 I think that uh, you know pushing those alternate methods can can sometimes be a salve for the the, the human need of, of of having someone, as the pasuk says, We know what Targum Unkelis says there, something that needs to talk, that needs to connect, and of course, it's the talk. Talking implies you're doing it to somebody else. Well, that's about it, I think, for this week. As I definitely, our, we definitely expunged a lot of ruach uh, today, and hopefully it was in a in a very positive way. Well, oh, by next week we might be talking about a new president-elect. Yeah. Still not in the air, and I hope we have good schmoozing this week, everybody. Take care. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.